Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. October is Black History Month and joining us today is our regular guest, Roland Butcher, to talk about his equity, diversity and inclusivity tour of the UK. Hello, Roland. Hey, Stephen. Hey, good to talk to you. Uh, And good to talk to you. I recently saw you in action when you visited my local school, the Neil Wade Academy in March, Cambridgeshire. What inspired you to start doing the talks on these three very important issues? Well, that's a very, very good question. I think, as you would know, over the last year or so, really, cricket particularly has been under a lot of pressure from all areas, from the media, from the government, everyone else, simply because of the revelations of what took place at Yorkshire and other first-class counties. Um, While that was a catalyst, I I think also I have reached the stage of my life now where I think it is important for me to give back um, some of the things that I would have benefited from in the past. So with that in mind, I really came up with the idea of coming to the UK uh, this summer and spend as much time as possible, speaking at schools, universities. I've done a lot of stuff for housing authorities, other corporate events, companies, et cetera, et cetera. So on that basis, it's been very important for me also to get the message out and to try and reassure everyone involved that, you know, diversity, inclusivity, equity and equality it is something that should be encouraged and something that you can have great benefits from. And how have the talks been received? Have you had good positive feedback? Very much so. I think the talks in general, at all levels, um, the feedback has been excellent. Uh, as I said, because you know they're hearing it from someone who has come from a diverse background, 
Um, obviously, I would have had to overcome many barriers, not just cultural barriers, but um, all sorts of barriers in terms of moving from a very small place like Barbados in the West Indies to England, the journey through to first class cricket, uh, the journey through to international cricket, and then the journey after international cricket. So I believe that I have uh, a lot of experience in those areas to really talk at first hand um, to people who perhaps have not realized that I have experienced those things and to really, you know, give them the benefit of my experience. Yeah, and you've worked, I believe, in 16 different countries. and Yeah, well, you know, it's, listen, um, you know, I've been very fortunate to have had a, an international cricket career. Um, I think I've worked very hard also to make that a reality. And as a result of that, it has afforded me the opportunity to travel extensively, to visit many countries, um, to get to know many different peoples, their cultures, their customs, etc. And then really as a result of that, you know, use that experience to, you know, assist not just myself, but to assist other people um, in the future. So, you know, going going abroad certainly has been um, a real asset for me because, as I said, you know, I've learned so much being in these different countries that I can relate um, many instances to people where, you know, they can benefit from something like that. And I've been very fortunate. Yes, I know from hearing you firsthand, um, you detailed the importance of diversity and and that is an asset to any organization and you um, particularly experienced that when you played for many years at Middlesex um, a very successful side of the 70s 80s and early 90s can you let listeners know how the Middlesex team how diverse that was and how and the benefits that um, the diversity gave the team well, the Middlesex team of the 70s, 80s, and late 70s, 80s, and 90s was by far the first, by far the most diverse um, first class team, not just in England, but I would say, you know, anywhere around the world. I would say that team had people from all walks of life, all educational backgrounds, different cultures, many, many different countries. Um, social backgrounds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean that that was the that was a real, I would say, a real melting pot because you had so many different people in it. But as a result of that, uh, with some very shrewd leadership by Mike Brady, he was able to get the best out of that environment. And I believe that because of that diversity within our team, that Middlesex became such a successful outfit during that 15-year period. So very much the case that diversity and inclusivity was very much at play even back in those days. And I think it's even more important now. And it's important that those uh, topics are then transferred into the workplace, schools, universities as well. Well, it has to become very much part of the everyday life. I don't think it must be something that is only in sport. You know, um, everyday life must entertain that. England, in the future of England really 
as it is right now. I mean, England is perhaps one of the most diverse countries on this planet at the moment. And in the future, it's going to be even more so. You know, the number of nationalities that you've got living in England um, in large numbers, that's only going to increase in the future. So the sooner that England as a country understand that that's the position they're in, that's the future, and it's a diverse society, and they then become themselves the agent for change to make sure that diversity and inclusivity is taught right across the board, right from children, you know, right through, um, right through our systems, through educational systems, uh, through work, you know, working organizations, committees, boards, etc. The sooner that they get working on that, you know, I, I can then see a bright future for this country. And with reference to children, I, I noticed when you were at the Neil Wade Academy, you were encouraging the children or the students to speak out when uh, these particular topics, pillars, weren't being followed at school. Yes, sir. And the reason for that is that I believe that, you know, particularly in this day and age, it is very important that people speak up. It started, the process has started. In the past, um, particularly um, people who are not confident in themselves or in most cases, minorities, whether they were ethnic minorities, black, white, green, pink, uh, lesbian, gay, whatever. In the past, um, a lot of people felt they didn't feel empowered to speak up. So in, invariably, this, you know, they kept themselves quiet, um, fear of, you know, being reprisals against them, fear of um, being ostracized, fear of being told that they've got a chip on their shoulders. Those were the things that prevented people from speaking up um, in the past. And also the whole thing about diversity and racism and everything was very much under the carpet. So it was not something that, people wanted to speak about. Now, the modern day now is that a lot of those people who, by their silence in the past, I believe were complicit also, are now starting to speak up. And that should give encouragement to everyone um, in any situation to, if there is something not going right, you know, speak up about it, speak to somebody about it. And um, that way it can be dealt with. But I'm certainly encouraging everyone that, don't sit silently because you can become part of the problem with your silence. And in your talks, you encourage the uh, children and to ask you questions and you pose questions directly to them. Yeah, that's important. Um, I don't think it's a situation anymore where there is a boss uh, and what the boss says is right and you must follow everything the boss says. I, I think what is required now is, is leadership, and leadership is, is a shared responsibility um, between, you know, the, the workers and the management. It is not the management telling um, the workers that this is how it's going to be. I, I think now you get um, a much better product if you involve um, the, the, the stakeholders in the decision-making, and um, that is something that was employed very much at Middlesex, where our captain, you know, he ensured that even the youngest player in the team had a say on the decision-making within the team. And, you know, that empowered um, the young player, um, you know, to think in a different way. And as a result, 
of, of his thinking as well, the young players' thinking. It helped the team to become um, a better outfit. So, yeah, it's very, very important to let your voice be heard. Don't suffer in silence anymore. Um, we've had decades and decades of people suffering in silence for whatever reason. I think it's um, important that you speak up. People are not going to always agree with what you have to say, but still say it anyway. And um, once you've got discussion, then you can find a way forward. Before we return to Roland's further thoughts on the Middlesex team, let's hear from Dave Kenning, a teacher of social science at the Neil Wade Academy in March, Cambridgeshire, about Roland's visit to the school in early October. Why did you arrange to book Roland to visit the academy on his tour? Well, I just thought it was a, an ideal opportunity, really, for, for raising the, the awareness of the students of the issues of diversity and race, particularly in, in Finland, which is not the most diverse place uh, within, within the country. And for somebody who obviously had a really high profile to get somebody, who, I must admit, I didn't realise at the time was the first black cricketer to have played test cricket for England, I think is, is quite a coup to, to, to get in and to, to have somebody of that stature to talk to the children in the first place, irrespective of what he was talking about. And what age group were the students who, who heard Rowan talk on the day? Well, reasonably wide ranging from, from 14 to, to 18, so year 10, right the way through to year 13. And what was the reaction, Dave, of the students d- during and afterwards? I think they were very they were very interested in the personalization of his story and, and coming over at the time that he did in the you know in the in the sixties and then and then playing career starting and working through in the seventies. Obviously is a, is a time that they don't often talk about and it's it's important I think to try and context give a little bit of a historical context of what Britain was like in that at that time. So and, and I think it's you know the personal uh, story of his uh, rise to success and particularly annotated with with the clips of actually seeing him playing I think it brings it brings it to life really I think that was probably the bit that uh, maybe they enjoyed enjoyed most really they found it a little bit I, I, I do think that they most of them I, I do think most of them are quite aware of diversity as as an issue uh, probably more than maybe some of our older generation within Finland. And I think that's got to be a good thing, really. I think they've got much more of a, a liberal and um, an outgoing attitude towards towards other people, faiths, characteristics, sexual orientation, whatever it is. It strikes me from teaching them that, you know, things are, I hope, moving in the right direction other than what we see as headlines in the media from time to time still. Personally, I enjoyed it when the students... And Roland were asking questions of each other. Yes, that's you know it's quite a big thing really for for children of that age of teenage age, where they're always a little bit concerned about their image and how they how they look in front of other students. It's quite brave for them to to ask questions. Well, I think some of them some of them particularly were quite 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 pertinent. You know, there was, there was a range of questions, but I think some of them were were, were very good. And I think they they particularly like the slide about equity, which is trying to draw out the fact that you know if we give everybody the same it doesn't actually mean that we're going to get the same results off everybody else and that was quite an important fact quite an important um, statement that he made there that i think rang true with a number of them with particular issues themselves i guess that was my next question really david what did you think the students learned 
from listening listening to Roland's journey? Yeah, I think I, th- I think just how important this issue of di- diversity is really. It's it's too trite, and, and when you ask this question a lot, you often get the answer. It's really important that we treat everybody the same. You know, everybody is the same. Well, of course they're not, are they? I mean, everybody is completely different. You know, irrespective of skin color, everybody is completely different. Independent of religion, independent of sexual orientation. And the great thing about the world is that everybody is different. Because what a boring old world it would be if everybody was the same. And I think it's that it's embracing those differences rather than trying to minimize those differences that I think is the most important thing that the children learned and something that, that you know keeps flashing its head at me really and saying that this is the, the what the, the story we've got to keep getting over to them is that difference is fine and it's to be celebrated really. And clearly from what you're saying at Middlesex, uh, Mike Brearley, the former England captain and Middlesex captain, really encouraged people to um, speak out uh, and he was really ahead of ahead of his time wasn't he very much so ahead of his time um, you must remember also that he came into the Middlesex set at a time when um, it was dominated by the senior players um, in those days young players would have had to sit in a corner and the old pros really made all the decisions they did all the talking and the young player just really sat and listened and spoke when he was spoken to. Now, I guess having come into that situation and with his intellect and vision for the future, he obviously believed that that was not the best way of getting the best out of a team. So the fact that he was now building a very young team, because we all started when he was, you know, we were young, very young players when he was captain. And he now had to build the unit. So I guess he figured that the best way for me to build this unit, and as you said, ahead of his time, was to engage these young guys, make them part and parcel of the decision-making, and, um, and see what happens. And it was a tremendous success because even the most, um, let's say, the, the person who really was very shy and et cetera, et cetera, you know, once he was involved in the process, you know, even if once or twice, you know, he, he didn't quite get it right, you know, he learned from that and, and ensured that he contributed. And an example of this would have been, you know, Mike Brealey as captain on the field of player, you know, would walk up to a young player and make a very simple question like, when Daniel has had five overs from the nursery and, um, you know, who would you replace him with? after he's finished his spell. Now, that's a question that would not have been asked to him in his career um, while, he, while he was at Middlesex because of the senior players, because the senior players would have felt it is the captain and their prerogative to make those decisions. Now, here he's uh, engaging a young player. And I guess in the beginning, it would be shocking for the young player because he's not expecting that. Uh, but what it has done is it sharpened the minds of the young players that even if he didn't have an answer the first time round, that he would never find himself in that position again. So it ended up really where you had an entire team on the field constantly thinking about what is the best move for the team, what are the permutations, just in case the captain um, asked them. He didn't always agree with you because we had many conversations because we, you know, we feel that slipped together, 
you know, he would ask me the very same question and I would give him my perspective. And at times he would say, no, I don't, I don't believe, I don't think so. I think so and so on. But there was dialogue. And, um, you know, and because he disagreed, it wasn't a case of him not coming back to you at some other time to ask another, another question. You know, it was communication. And, you know, sometimes he got it wrong. And, and he would then say to you, you know, I think you were right. Or, you know, so that, that, that's the sort of um, leadership that we had then, um, very much ahead of its time. And it really empowered every single player in that team to be not just a good player individually, but, you know, to contribute to the team in, in many other ways. And focusing on cricket, do you think that opportunities for young black players with the progress that the ACE programme is is making is improving? Well, I think it's a little bit early um, to, to see that improvement because, as you know, the ACE programme really has only been in existence for a year or so. Uh, so it's going to take time really for that to bed in and for the players, you know, to come through on a consistent basis because they're starting from scratch. Um, they didn't really have a base um, to build on. So I think it would be harsh for anyone to expect that the ACE programme would instantly produce this plethora of black players to play first-class cricket and English cricket. I think it's a prog- programme that has to be given time. I think it once it's given time, it will produce the results because... You know, the desire to play the game is very much still up there amongst black people, regardless of what people say, for whatever reason that, you know, the black youngsters, particularly born in England, don't want to play cricket. Uh, That really is very much a myth. The reality is that large numbers of black people and minority people live in deprived areas with no facilities. So they cannot get coaching there's nowhere to practice for them. There's no clubs for them to play. Um, it's an expensive sport. So all of those things really have conspired, you know, to ensure that those minorities um, don't really get the opportunity. That's the important thing. The opportunity to challenge um, for these positions. Now, obviously, the ACE program sets out to try and level the playing field to some degree by providing them with um somewhere to play, with coaching, a development pathway, and also role models to show them that this has been achieved in the past. It can be achieved again. And it's really, really what you need now really is to give it time. And, um, you know, I would ask people to be very patient um, with the process and allow the ES program, you know, to do what it's set out to do. And I believe that if that is done, that it will produce exactly what, you know, it said it would do. But it must be forgotten that Ebony Rainford-Brent has has made great strides in a, in a very short period of time, though, hasn't she? Yes, Ebony is the chairman of the of the ES program, and obviously, Ebony, like myself, has been um, you know a minority um, in this country. So, you know, she knows what it's like. Um, I was around the time when the Harringay Cricket College was in existence. And that program, which was funded by Harringay Council, was instrumental in producing at least a dozen first class and some international players. 
from a little hall in, in, in Harringay. Um, so, you know, that worked. And obviously, you know, Ebony, you know, obviously she, she would have come up as well during this time. And she recognized, like myself and all the others, that, you know, we have to do something to ensure that um, the young players and minorities really get the opportunity to challenge. Nobody's asking for handouts. You're just asking for the opportunity to compete um, for those uh, positions. And um, everybody's working hard to make sure that happens. And, of course, you also need more uh, representation on committees and boards as well. It has to be across the board. As I said, I don't think it's just a cricket thing. Um, you know, if if you're speaking about sport right now, um, I think, you know, you've got to try and get diversity right across the system. Um, no real change will come until you get it um, at the very top. Um, and I'm talking about at board level. Uh, you know, once you've got diversity at board level and you come down the chain, you know, I, I believe then, you know, it, it, it will work very, very well, because whether you like it or not, people like to see people that look like themselves in authority. Now, if I don't see anybody that looked like me as a youngster, if I don't see anybody that looks like me in the England team, um, immediately there's a belief that I cannot achieve that. And um, by having someone in that position, you know, it gives people the belief and the motivation to think, hang on, I can do that. Happened with in my case, I happened to be the first player to play for England, but you know, that wasn't my choice, that's what happened. But at the same time, what it did was it gave other black players in England that motivation to say, Hang on a minute, he's done it, so I can do it. So, all the players that came after me certainly had that mentality that, and they did that simply because they saw me there. Now, if you've got that happening right across the board, as I said, in committees. Um, in coaching, um, on on boards, etc., you will get the motivation and, and the talent will come through because people will strive. You know, you know everybody wants to be better, and but they must also believe that there's a chance to be better. I think what's happened, um, unfortunately, in the past is that it has appeared to be a closed door, and people have felt well. You know, I'm not. I'm not really welcome there. That's not. That's not for me. And then, really, there's no motivation to push themselves forward. So once that change is made, and as I said, I just use sport as an example, but that's something that needs to happen. You know, right across the board uh, within the country. Once that happens, you know, some very very good people will come through, and and that will be to the benefit of all those organisations and the country itself. And you're still taking bookings for your tour before you go back to uh, Barbados? Yes, we are. Um, I have extended my stay now till mid-December. And really, uh, we're still taking bookings as we speak uh, for me to come and speak. And um, yeah, so there's still spaces available. And as I said, while I'm here, let's utilise the time to, you know, to spread the message. I think it's an important message to be spread. And have you a final message, Roland, on these very sensitive but very important subjects of equity, diversity, inclusivity? I think what is important is that the conversation must continue. I don't think um, it must be for a period of time. I think 
this is something that needs to be on the table all the time, day in, day out. How can we make this better? Everybody work towards that. Um, currently, we have, um, we're in the month of Black History Month in, in the UK. You know, while the month is fantastic, I really believe that Black History deserves better than one month. One month is a start. You know, you, you can start with a month, but I believe Black History is something that needs to be taught um, continually. Um, you know, black, have, black people have contributed significantly um, to the infrastructure of, of this country. They've, you know, they've built, helped build this country and their history also should be told and not just in a month because how much can you tell in a month? Uh, so for me, I would like to see that happen in the future that the conversation remains on the table, you know, 12 months of the year as to how can we improve um, these situations for all involved. Well, thanks for that, uh, Roland. Uh, best of luck for the rest of your tour and for your continued fight for equity, diversity and inclusivity. Yes, of course. I mean, I, I will keep fighting because I think it is something worth fighting for. I, um, I believe um, it's an asset because I have been a beneficiary myself of of coming from that diverse background. I have benefited from that. I believe that others should as well. And um, I will continue to fight the good fight. Thank you very much. Great pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Pad and Pad. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.